From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth. I'm your co-host, Brother Larry Jones, and we welcome a young lady, KG, that uh, is spot on for this season we're in with mental health. Yes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with COVID-19 and people being quarantined, um, might go a little stir crazy. So she is the founder and CEO of The Elephant in the Room. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, Miss Keisha Dennis. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you um, for coming on. So you are uh, an advocate for mental health and uh, mental health awareness, yes? Absolutely. A huge advocate for mental health and mental health awareness and education and um, just trying to do our parts by erasing the stigma that's associated with it. So how did you get uh, into this work? Do you have a um, personal story or, or something in your life that made you want to uh, focus on mental health? Yes. So I didn't go to school for um, psychology or um, anything like that, not in the field. However, my reason is just based off of personal experience. As a teenager, I was about 17 years old, I had this feeling that I couldn't really describe. And it was something that I didn't talk about, I didn't tell anybody what it was. I just knew that I didn't feel okay. And I knew it wasn't normal. And so I was afraid to talk to anybody, my parents, any peers, because I didn't want them to look at me like I was crazy or um, something was wrong with me and you know I would be labeled as weird. And so, um, I kept that inside for years and I kind of just coached myself on a daily basis in my mind that I was going to be okay. And I ended up being fine. But looking back, I realized that what I was suffering was from anxiety. Hmm. And um, this was back when I was about 17 years old and I'm 32 now. And looking back when social media started to grow, I would start seeing people on Facebook um, in particular where they would be saying all kinds of things that's very personal and they'd be just doing outrageous things online. And a lot of times people would laugh at that. But I looked at that through a different lens because I knew what it felt like. And I said, no, this is definitely a cry out for help. This person is actually dealing with a mental health condition and they're either suffering from anxiety, depression, and they're just trying to find their way. And so from that point forward, I just kind of start paying more and more attention to people um, wanting to be expressive, but not knowing how to manage that. And so I said, you know what, I, I want to do something to help. And I can just remember my very first idea was, um, I want to create something to where at least we'll have an event or something that people could look forward to. Because I remember when I was a sufferer, I would try to keep my mind busy and I would keep going and being so busy that I didn't have time to sit in the idle mind. And so I wanted to be around other people. So I said, I'm going to do something very similar to that so that I can help somebody else, like, get out of where they are. Because it's a dark place and it's not fun. Keisha, I, I need to ask, did you ever discover what triggered your anxiety and put you in this space? Um, I don't know if I fully, fully found out what exactly triggered it but for the most part for me I think I strive for perfection 
And I have learned that recently, and this is the first time I've ever spoken about this, is because I still, you know, we all continue to still have daily struggles of anxieties, especially with um, the climate of today. So um, I know that sometimes it's the perception and what people perceive of me. Um, I know that has some sort of triggers because you try to live up to certain standards when in actuality you have to just be comfortable with who you are. And so I know um, that has something to do with it. And then back then it was just really more so of trying to be perfect and feeling like you failed if you were not. And so I'd beat myself up really, really, really bad if that was the case. And that caused me to really have, I had bad panic attacks. I would just break down and I couldn't tell you what was wrong with me. If anybody like what they were around, they would just like try to hold me. And I'm like, they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong. I can't tell you what's wrong. I just know something's wrong. I'd be driving the car, have to pull over on the side of the road. and just kind of take a couple minutes to breathe because panic attacks, are, it's just a feeling that it just takes over your entire body for that moment. And then once it's over, it's over. Hmm. I'm wondering um, when um, Uncle Larry just asked about, you know, what may have triggered um, this um, and I started to thinking about traumas that we experience in life mm-hmm. and we subconsciously suppress them. Mm-hmm. And in certain situations, um, it may pop up and, 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 and you don't know where <laughs> it may come from. Um mm-hmm. I myself, Absolutely. I, de- I dealt with that here um, have recently Yeah. <clears throat> um, for me, if I could, just really quick. I had sure. never been um, never been a gun guy. I mean, my granddaddy had a, a BB gun. You know, we used to play with that. But, like, in my uh, adult life, I just never, you know, was fascinated, you know, by guns. Um, mm-hmm. My mother has one. My uh, Both of my brothers do. But... I had never shot a gun, and mm-hmm. I was invited to uh, the gun range um, here in Houston, literally around the corner um, from my house. Um, and my other Comey uh, and brother Kiati, he goes there as well. And so I was invited there, and I was really excited to go to the gun range to shoot. And I get there, and I'm hearing the shots going off, and I don't know why, like some in- anxiety just like triggered in and Mm -hmm. i'm just feeling Mm -hmm. like kind of uncomfortable but yet in my mind Mm -hmm. i was like dang like i thought we were excited about this and i'm like we were and so i'm still Mm -hmm. going through it you know get my trigger Mm -hmm. get the headphones on go back in there the guy is showing me how to uh shoot a shotgun you know first i guess i just should have went for the uh you know for the glock or something like um and (laughs) He's showing me what to do, and I and I and, and, and I shot it about three times, and after that, I just put it down, and then I went outside because it was just it was way too much, and I'm calming myself down, even though I'm cool on the outside. Inside, I am the anxiety oh, is wow. repping, repping, running up, and I'm sitting there and I'm yeah. calming down, and I'm thinking to myself like, dang, like why, why is this going on? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I ended up leaving. I made an excuse and I left, and I'm going home. I, I got home and I'm just sitting thinking, wondering, psychoanalyzing myself as to where did this come from? And then later on that evening, it hit me. 
when I was about seven, seven, I believe I was seven, seven, eight, mm-hmm. a man shot at my mother's head and, and, and almost killed her. So we're standing outside mm-hmm. uh, the apartment complex where we um, lived, and my mother was standing in front of uh, the glass that was next to the door to get into the building. There was a man that was standing at the top of the steps on the second floor, had a gun aimed down at my mother, pointed at her head. The bullet went right over my mom's head. Wow. And then I just remember, you know, us running around uh, the corner and, you know, it was just, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And then in that moment when I remembered that, I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. That's why. And you remember this so vividly. And that's why you felt anxiety. And to think that there are hundreds and zillions and millions of those stories. Millions. And, and I know. I, yeah. Same here with me. I mean, my my eager to be perfect doesn't come from anywhere. You know, like, oh, it's just I just made it up. No, it's because, you know, you know, growing up, you may not want to be like one parent, but you may want to be take something from the other parent or you strive so hard to be so different. Where I'm never going to be like this person ever to where you strive for this super perfection that's unrealistic. And then when you fail at it, you're like, well, dang, am I really being like this person that I don't want to be? Mm-hmm. Am I really being the parent that I said I didn't want to be? Am I being this person? And it's all those emotions. So, of course, yes, you're right. It's so many of those stories that we that we, we live with and we have, and we never really address them. We just suppress all those feelings and push forward and look forward to better things. And like you said, some of the simple daily activities of just going to a gun range, it would trigger it. So you created you. what we've just talked about, the elephant in the room. Hmm. Come on. So this this just leads us into your organization and the help that you provide. So would you take us through your process? Yes, sure. So um, honestly, well, first, I just want to thank you for even sharing this story with me. Um, I'm always very touched and very moved by anybody who's able to open up and be vulnerable about some sort of trauma or some sort of anxiety or fear that they may have had. Because hearing your story, I know that I can probably share your story with someone else that I encounter that may have the same sort of fears. So Mm -hmm. with the work that I do, I'm out in the community. I'm trying to talk to as many people as possible, being able to share different stories and let other people know that just because they may not have shared theirs, you know, there are a million other stories out here. I have my own stories, and I can sit down with you guys if we had hours and tell you many, many, many things as to, you know, why I act the way that I act or why I have certain anxieties or at certain situations or in, di- in different atmospheres. But um, what we do is really we get out in the community and we be the voice for some of the people who are scared to speak up. Um, we... Um, reach out to other people, we have them sit down, we do interviews, we do one-on-one talks, and we have them open up about what they've gone through because I want everyone else to know that they're not the only ones that are out there. They're not alone. We're all in this together. And um, if I'm able to educate some of the college kids um, when I'm out visiting them and just kind of letting them know what anxiety is, what depression is, 
I think one of my main questions from um, a college sophomore was, um, hey, it was a DM on Instagram. I posted something and they said, hey, does um, is depression a form of mental health? They have no idea. Sometimes wow. they don't know. I'm like, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And they said, I never knew that. I know that I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sometimes I may have an eating disorder, but I don't, I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, that's so real. I went is, through the same thing yeah. again, too, uh, a few summers ago. Very much so. A few summers mm-hmm. ago, just did not have the same, didn't have the same interest. I wasn't going as hard. I mean, I was going through, yep. life, you know, getting done what I had to get done. But, you know, the passion and the drive behind the it wasn't there. There were some days nope. where I just absolutely did nothing, sat around, slept, ate, slept all day and you know still come and do it but didn't have any energy i didn't have a sex drive and that and that was the main thing that concerned me i was like wow i have no i have no desire Mm -hmm. at all what is really 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 going on and this went on for like that entire summer about three maybe four months and then i finally you know got out of it and just randomly talking to somebody about it it was like oh you went through a mild bout of depression Yes. And I was like, what? Really? So some people are walking around going through it and they don't even know it. No, they don't know. And that leaves you questioning yourself. And that puts you in a more of a depressive state. But the thing is, sometimes, like you said, you didn't even know it until months later. And you ended up talking to somebody and it's like, oh, you went through a mild depressive state. That's what we're here for. We're here to kind of just like let people know, like, this is what it is. You know, because once we talk about it and once we normalize it, I think there we'll be able to kind of erase the stigma that's associated with it so we won't be scared to talk about mental health we won't be scared to talk about mental wealth we won't be scared to talk about anxieties depression depression or anything like that we can treat it i can slowly see i i see it um i see us breaking that you know within the within the last you know definitely within the last three four years um the Mm -hmm. stigma around mental health and, and going to see a therapist um has been uh, more accepting and lax because, you know, us as black folks, we always thought it was something that white people did and all of that. Little do they know, uh, we invented therapy. They did that in in, in the tribe, you know, in in the West African tribes where they would get together and talk out, talk about their problems. So, you know, we have this thing that is for white folks, but it's like, we invented it. Mm Mm-hmm. And we yep. could be the most depressed yep. people on the planet, but I'm glad we're the not. The most depressed. The, we're not. Yeah. No. Keisha, I, I, no. it's Uncle Larry again, I, and I want to tell you this is a, um, to hear KG's testimony today is 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 refreshing, not necessarily new, because we all have them, but the ability to express it or to share is part of the process of coming out, and we all have mm-hmm. ours, and I won't bore you with mine, but I will certainly let you know that your work is going to be rewarded and to continue to walk that path that you've chosen or has chosen you to walk because there are zillions of folk who need to just know you can come in and share your story. You're really repeating some of the same, like you said, that expectation of being perfect or that expectation of being that professor or just being better in a, anti-black scenario where you had to work three times as hard to get Mm -hmm. just enough pay to make it 
and it, 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 it wears on you day after day after day. And a lot of people went through the self-help, find the help in the bottom of a bottle or in a shot of heroin or in something mm-hmm. that uh, didn't really help the matter, but we thought it would take our mind off the matter. Mm-hmm. And it, it never does. Right. It never does. So. Yeah, because uh, a lot of times people say, oh, he has a drinking problem or, oh, he's addicted to prescription drugs. No, he's, I mean, yes, he may have turned into an addiction. However, the issue, because that's just a reaction, the actual issue, the underlying issue, it wasn't addressed. And that was something dealing with your mental health. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, Keisha, with, you know, people being quarantined and, 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 and mm-hmm. during this age of coronavirus, COVID-19, what are some things that people at home can do to help them uh, not go so stir crazy and, 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 and begin to have cabin fever? What would you suggest that p- things that people can do now um, to keep them as sane as possible? Absolutely. So there are many things that we can do during this time. And the first thing we have to do is realize that although we're social distancing, that doesn't mean that we are um, completely socially distancing. We're, we're physically distancing ourselves from other people. But socially wise, we can still connect with everyone. Um, we can pick up the phone. We can FaceTime. We can Zoom. We can still have some sort of connection to our loved ones. And we don't have to isolate ourselves completely. And in that meantime, we can focus on um, one of my favorite, favorite things is I think people should journal during this time. How cool would it be if everyone journaled every day about what's going on during the coronavirus? Here's an update. This is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. This is what I've done today because we can't do much. And let's say 20 years from now, we pull out that journal and we say, well, what was going through our minds during that time? It was a pandemic, and I was 32 years old. You pull out that journal, and you're able to see exactly what happened and how you were feeling, and you can really talk to others about your emotions at that time. But in the meantime, what you don't realize you're doing is that's therapeutic, being able to journal during this time, uh, get out and do a little bit of exercise, um, being able to switch up your routine. Um, it's, It's plenty of things to do. You can learn how to cook something new. Um, you can learn a new hobby, a new game. You can work on the project that you, you know, never really had time to do. So it's many, many things that we can do to keep ourselves um, not so stuck with the cabin fever, um, but also just making sure that we're not afraid to still be connected with everyone else. We don't want to feel alone with our thoughts. So, Keisha, someone's listening to the podcast right now, enjoying the conversation. You've touched all their buttons. How would someone find you? Social media-wise? Social media-wise, we are on Instagram, and it is at The Elephant in the Room, Inc. We're also on Facebook, and that's The Elephant in the Room, Inc. And we're also on Twitter, and that's Teeter, just abbreviated T-E-I-T-R. And um, the best way you can visit our website, it's www dot the elephant in the room inc dot org subscribe to our website and we can definitely keep in contact with you guys and keep you uplifted at all times 
Indeed. Well, thank you so much um, for your time. Is it, just real quick how this all came about. Uh, G Maniac had uh, uh, gave her my number. She hit me up like, "Hey, uh, G Wreck, gave me your number. <laughs> like, you, you possibly to be on your show." I was like, "Well, that show was gone, but we do have this new show, the Public Affairs Podcast. <laughs> so let me send it to my producer, see if we can do it. You know, see if Larry approves and." Oh, and, oh, by the way, I'm I'm following you now, Keisha. <laughs> yeah. oh, just great. found I'm just found you on Instagram, you so there we are. Yeah, great. I'm gonna and so that. it all came it all came around, and 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 you could not have come on at a better time, mm-hmm. a more a very um, just unprecedented time yeah. in in, it's in, in in our lives. It's so needed. We needed. So thank you so much. It's, it's well, so I'm needed. very glad that he connected us, and I'm very glad that I was able to share this moment with you guys and I really appreciate you both for being so appreciative of mental health and thank you KZ for everything you've been nice since day one and um, I appreciate you for sharing your story I'm sure that it's going to help somebody else who was listening indeed no Mm -hmm. thank you thanks guys you guys have a wonderful week and we'll stay in touch indeed thank you my friend Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast from your local BMW Center Studios. I'm your host, Larry Jones. And I'm your host, KG Smooth. How you doing, huh? Man, nephew, I feel good. I look good. I smell good. But what good am I? (laughs) Of course. Of course. I'm just ready to... I'm ready to dress up again. Yes, I want to get fly. (laughs) You know, I mean, I, I tried to quarantine clean at home. Um... Not the same effect because, you know, nobody really sees you, but, yeah. you know. I mean, how many, t- I, I don't know how many more ways I can rearrange my closet with my boots and my jackets, but. Listen, I'm about, to, I'm, I'm going to start um, playing the keyboard again and just getting better Excellent. at uh, twinkling the ivories. Uh, but speaking of home. Yes, sir. Um, we have on the podcast today a young lady who is taking the uh, commercial real estate industry uh, by storm, she's one of the youngest and very few uh, black women who are vying to become the top commercial uh, real estate C-level professional in the country. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, Tiffany Ryland. How are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So um, tell us about um, what it is that you have become and uh how did your interest in uh real estate start like what made you want to get into real estate so early so you know i'll be i'll be very honest with you when i initially started real estate it didn't come to me just um from a space of i want to do this i actually ran from it at first Uh, my father and mother started a or a real estate firm at the kitchen table And I just made the decision that that's not what I wanted to do. And so I did everything I could to get away from it. I went to uh, school in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went for a marketing degree in international business, nothing to do with real estate. And uh, it wasn't until my mother became ill that I made a decision to come back home. And when I came back home to Houston, that's when I said, you know what, while I'm here and I'm I'm a full-time caregiver for my mother, I want to go ahead and, and finish up or, or get my real estate license. And, you know, to be honest, I thought that this was going to be a temporary thing for me. Um, I thought this was going to be something that I'd be here for a couple of weeks and then I'll, I'll move on from that. 
And unfortunately, my mother ended up passing away, and I ended up staying here. And so for the first year and a half of, of my mother's, um, after her passing, I just, I had to find something to do with my time. And in that time, I took the first three months of that to, you know, start looking into real estate and, and eventually getting my license. And I just walked in the week of my dad's birthday and said, hey, I work for you now. Mm. Tiffany, that is one of the great stories of all time, because those of us who have a passion, a desire for other than what mom and dad are doing, we applaud that that cavalier attitude. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. And then God says, wait a minute. <laughs> I got yeah. something that you're really going to like, and it's just what your mom and dad are doing. So we applaud you. Um, of course, sorry to hear about the loss of mom, but you're there for dad. And KG and I really want to start at the bottom. Why not commer- uh, Why not um, uh, residential property? Why commercial? That's a very good question. And, you know, I wish I had a, a deeper response other than that's just the space that my father was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had, it, honestly, I, I didn't think that I wanted to be out, you know, looking at windows and paint colors and do, does it have arch walkways or, you know, that just didn't appeal to me. But when I started looking at buildings and, and what my father was doing, I really took some interest to that to be able to see, you know, a piece of land go from nothing and then for them to develop it into this amazing facility that's creating generational wealth for, for families and, and their kids and their kids. And that's when it started to hit me like this is this is not just a career path. This is a way for me to create generational wealth. Not only that, but to teach other people how to create generational wealth. Hmm. Explain to people the difference between um, residential uh, real yeah. estate and commercial. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, uh, the biggest, well, the the more obvious answer would be uh, residential is where you would stay, where you sleep, you know, where you live, and then commercial everything else that's going to be where you go to church at that's going to be where you work at that's going to be where you get your food your groceries go to school those are the buildings that uh we operate out of and, and we host our buildings out, i mean our businesses out of hmm. i like that. i like that that sounds like way more money in going so, that route <laughs> so tiffany has has there been bit. any <laughs> yeah, really um for you any architectural design any or, or do you in your business, do you plan the design of the buildings? Are you involved in that? So, unfortunately, no. But recently, we, we were able to, to move into a new office space of our own where I did have uh, a hand in what the space looked like. It was a, a shell space, and we went in there, and we were able to design it to look and feel exactly the way we wanted it to look and feel. So I did get to play in that space for a little while. Okay. We've uh, just recently watched the movie The Banker. I don't know if you're familiar with that. With I haven't yet. You should I, I see mean, it. I see it's on I've, Apple I've TV+. Heard Plus. It. I haven't watched it either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with Samuel Jackson. But it's it's based in 1954 Los Angeles with a young man who wants to buy a bank, but he also is in real estate. And he, of course, with the color line, you don't see black realtors or bankers. So he mm-hmm. invests his intellect into a Caucasian gentleman who fronts for them and they begin to get these businesses and houses and he feels the need to come back home to West Texas and he buys the bank in his hometown which of course they discover that it's owned by a black guy Uh, but I I brought that up Tiff because 
I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear from dad if and when there were any difficulties because of you being a minority getting into that scale yeah. of business on so that line that, yeah, the, the, the commercial side. Hey guys, how are you? This Good is Ed Ryan, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm just really proud of what Tiffany's doing. And before I move on, uh, Frank Larry Jones, I've been listening to you for years, man, you. <laughs> years and years and years. And I love your your commercial or your your promo with your granddaughter. He said, "My grand, my papa, yes, sir. Larry." You know? <laughs> thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Thank so you. I love that, man. So I was excited just to be here. But you know. Uh, I've been in real estate over 38 years now, and I actually started off a residential and worked for a couple of years there. And then I recognized that there were virtually no people of color in commercial real estate. And I started asking the question, why is that? Why is that in an industry that is a $5 trillion industry, we have no people of color? And, and what was the answer? Well, I think there's a couple of answers. One is the barrier to entrance. So uh, commercial real estate is such a, a challenging industry. If you don't have a mentor, an advocate, or someone who's going to uh, help you, it's very difficult to get in the industry. And then secondly, it's very, it's very difficult to stay. These transactions sometimes take years to complete. So if you're looking at a, a transaction that's going to take you two years to uh, to complete, many of us cannot withstand that financial uh, challenge for two years without making any money. And so that's the uh, that's one of the challenges. And the other challenge is just really having someone to help you understand uh, the, uh, the the intricate details of what it takes to complete a commercial real estate transaction. So when I first got in the industry, I, you know, I couldn't even get commercial real estate people to return my phone call. You know, I would call and, and, uh, and, and couldn't get an interview, couldn't get folks to return my, my call. It's such a, uh, you know, a uh, non-minority industry that it was just very difficult. But what I started doing was I started reviewing the resumes of the top commercial real estate professionals in the city. And I found out what designations they had, what they were doing, what was some of the secrets to them being successful. And I started doing that stuff. And one of the designations that they uh, that I, I stumbled upon was called the CCIM designation. It's considered the PhD of commercial real estate. And I pursued that designation. It took me several thousands of dollars and three years to get it. But once I got that designation, that opened up a bunch of doors. For me, that's when folks started to look at me as a true professional uh, in the industry, and, uh, and and I started to make some some headways in the commercial estate industry. Even today, you know, thirty some years later, there's very few minorities still in the commercial estate space. And so, what we're trying to do is to introduce, expose, to mentor, and to give other folks an opportunity to get into this industry. Mm-hmm. So Ed, and God bless you, sir, for your due diligence and the fact that you had the tenacity and the wherewithal to keep digging to find these 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 pockets of information and and to put forth your company. So you say you're thirty thirty eight years in the business, correct? Right, correct. All right, thirty eight years in, 
And you and Tiffany are partners, or she has her own company? So, depending on who you ask, Tiff, <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, yes. Tiffany will tell you that she's the CEO. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she she is definitely a partner in the industry, man. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm the CEO and president of the company. But I would tell you, uh, since she's been involved, she is definitely the next generation, and uh, that is the that is the direction that we're going in. Uh, I'm happy that she's excited and on fire about this. I'm just watching to see how long she's going to be on fire about it. And it's mm-hmm. been several years, and she has the same amount of fire and tenacity that she had when she first decided to to kind of take it on. So, uh, you know, for, for, for me, you know, I'll continue to, uh, uh, to lead the company until she's ready to lead it. But right now, uh, I would tell you, uh, uh, she's doing a fantastic job and I'm happy just to, to support her career and hope that she'll be able to bring others into the industry uh, so that we can continue to, to demonstrate uh, the impact of commercial real estate uh, uh, in, this, in this city. And commercial real estate is not just about buildings. It is a quality of life, and it's an economic engine. Mm-hmm. Anytime you put up a commercial real estate building, you're going to have businesses operating out of those businesses. So to the degree that we can bring commercial real estate to some of the underserved, underinvested communities will we'll be our ability to impact uh, the quality of life uh, for those that live and work in those underserved communities. Indeed. And to underscore your um comment about Tiffany's uh, tenacity and, and fearlessness. Tiffany, you, you're changing the game, you know, with how you're using technology and uh, these business strategies to um, change the traditional look and feel of commercial real estate. What have been some of your uh, innovative techniques? You know, one of the things that I've I've seen is for younger people, we want to we we gravitate to those more. I like to call them uh, sexy and fun industries, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those things that look cool on social media, but they may not be generating um, the type of financial stability that we need in order to to live beyond what our what our parents have provided for us. And so, you know, one of my one of my biggest goals has been to make this commercial real estate space sexy. How how can we make this something that is of interest to the younger generation? And so utilizing social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, um, YouTube, showing people the different aspects of it through video. Uh, I do a lot of polling online, so sometimes I'll ask people, you know, what are your thoughts about commercial real estate and just engaging my audience and seeing what they know about it and continuing to educate them on platforms that I know they're utilizing on an everyday basis almost all day now. Nice. I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, it. And it makes all the sense because when, when it does look sexy and cool, it, people are more uh, inclined to um, inquire within. Mm-hmm. And so um, you all are also doing something that is just amazing and very uh, critical in the times that we're currently in. You've launched a, a small business lease relief initiative to help businesses uh, survive and navigate uh, through (laughs) this age that we're living in with COVID-19 and and the coronavirus. Um, Tell us about that. So Lease Relief, uh, honestly, we, Ed and I were walking around and one of the biggest things we always say is, how can we make an impact in good and in bad times? 
And so in a time where people are panicking and they don't know what to do and what's next, we said, how can our firm be of assistance? What do we do already that we can offer to other people and other small business owners? And so as we're working out doing a morning workout routine, Ed starts talking about, you know, these businesses need lease relief. And so I'm like, yeah, so why don't we just, why don't we put something out there and see if we can help these small businesses restructure or renegotiate their lease agreements and that way they're not they're not having to give up what they've worked so hard for. Some of these small businesses have put so much blood, sweat and tears into what they've been doing for years. And so to you know, walk out of your business and think it's gonna be a two week stay and find out that it's actually gonna be thirty days or longer, some of these companies are not gonna recover from this. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've we've created this program where we're going in and we're helping these small businesses restructure their lease agreements so that they are able to sustain for another 30 or 60 or 90 days. And, and honestly, this can be a lifeline for some of these businesses. Wow. That's amazing. And you're absolutely right because I'm, I mean, you are being very generous with saying, you know, 30 days, I'm thinking a whole quarter, Tiffany. Yeah. I mean, the the harsh reality of it, uh, uh, where can people go to get more information on this, on the, uh, small business, uh, lease relief initiative here? So they can either reach myself um, on the office line at 713-952-5066, extension 121, or they can reach me on social media. Um, it's going to be at Tiff, Tiff and T-I-F-F-A-N-N, Ryland, R-Y-L-A-N-D. Okay. Excellent. One more time. <laughs> that's, for social media platforms, it's at Tiff and that's T-I-F-F-A-N-N. R-Y-L-A-N-D. Tip, I'd like to ask, um, with your vision, both you and your dad, uh, where are the, the the new pockets for opportunity in the city for uh, commercial growth? Where, where, what, what parts of the city do you see uh, developing? Because there was a rush a few years ago for Pearland, then we had this big boom out in Katy, and Springs always been a hotbed. Where do you guys see this going? Yeah, so I think there's probably a couple areas uh, for the city, and some of this is changing based on the economics that we are dealing with today. You know, for us, uh, it's not just the coronavirus that we are being challenged with. We're also being challenging with plummeting oil prices. Mm. You know, some of yes, us can't remember when we were at $100 a barrel. Yeah. Then we went down to $50 a barrel, and people started saying, oh, man, what are we going to do? Now we're down to the $25, $26 a barrel. Yes, sir. Which means that a lot of those jobs that are associated with the oil and gas industry are going to, going to have some challenges. So the development, the areas that were you know, developing uh, in the past may have some challenges. But we always think that there are opportunities in these underserved, underdeveloped communities because these are some of the untapped communities. So when you look at some of the, the areas, the third ward, mm-hmm. uh, the fourth ward, the fifth ward area, these areas still are, are hungry for affordable housing and quality commercial products and services. Many of these areas, they have to travel, you know, miles outside of the community just to get, you know, a decent casual meal or entertainment or any type of uh, quality of life type of item. So I think that's going to be some some opportunities there. The inner city is always still uh, an opportunity where folks who want to be near the uh, employment centers like Texas Medical Center, Galleria area, uh, the downtown area. Those areas I think will continue to 
to attract some level uh, some level of interest. But in terms of where you know some of the uncharted uh, waters are, some of the uh, opportunities that that uh, that uh, folks are really kind of looking for folks to come in and do something. I think these underserved, underdeveloped communities, Acres Home, uh, those areas are still longing for quality commercial real estate development. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And often lost forgotten. I mean, I hear people on the north side saying that. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and they're upset because they're like, you know, <laughs> they got these deals. And when said company comes through, they're supposed to do something for us up here. Mm-hmm. And they haven't done anything. And so. And we have the money. And I live up there. And sometimes we don't necessarily like traveling 30, 40 miles just to be able to do a thing. Right. When, when it could be right there. So. Uh, I, I certainly applaud anyone who's listening to the podcast today who has interest in what Tiff and her dad, uh, Mr. Ed, are doing and want to become a part of this. This is this is by far a great platinum opportunity, KG, for yes. someone to get involved. Not yes, golden. Indeed. This is a platinum opportunity. Yeah. We thank you for that. Yes, indeed. Um, Tiff, uh, mm-hmm. we just are in awe of all that you <laughs> are doing. We had already got good word from you from AV, uh, so we already knew that yeah. this was going to be as dope um, as it was. Um, for uh, the people, one more time, um, so they can get more information on uh, the small business uh, relief initiative that you all um, are doing for small businesses, if you can give that information out one more time. Absolutely. So I can be reached on a landline at 713-952-5066, extension 121, or you can reach me on social media on Instagram at Tiff Ann Ryland. That's T-I-F-F-A-N-N-R-Y-L-A-N-D. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, on Instagram, that's Tiff Ann Ryland, T-I-F-F-A-N-N-R-Y-L-A-N-D. Man, we... We thank you guys no question. Uh, so much uh, for your time. And your talent and your due diligence. And you, you, whew, this is what it's all about, guys. This is why KG and I do what we do every week for this show to provide you with this kind of information and these unique opportunities. As Tiffany and her dad said, good or bad times. This is one way to build wealth and to create generational wealth that we've never seen before. And I, I'm I'm blessed to have had a chance to speak to you both. Thank you for your well, time thank today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank I am interested to uh, to to know. I I should have asked this early on. Um, uh, what does the ARVO stand for? Is that an acronym or? <laughs> so that's a great question. So you know we we started off with with Ryland Enterprise as the name of the. Uh, we started off with Ryland Enterprise as the name of the company. And then over the, over the years, our business grew and our company grew. And so when we decided to rebrand almost 12, 13 years ago, we wanted to rebrand in such a way that our name would say what our clients expected of us. And so we know we wanted our name to say integrity, value, uh, professionalism, attention to detail. So we spent about six months and hired some consultants to work with us to come up with a name, and we landed on the word Arvo, A-R-V-O. It's a French, uh, it's a Finnish term that means value. 
So we wanted value to be everything that we do. When we work with our clients, we wanted to make sure that we added value. When we work in the community, we wanted to make sure that whatever we did, we added value to everything that we did. So our culture within our organization, every day, we, we think about how can we add value. And the name is what uh, uh, Arvo is what uh, value is what Arvo means. So every day when we look at the word Arvo, we are thinking about value. How can we add value to the community? How can we add value to our clients? How we can add value to very difficult situations? And so that's that's how we landed on the name. Man, well, we love it. Mr. Ed Ryland and the incomparable Tiffany Ryland of Arvo Realty Advisors, we really Really appreciate it. And when you bring it up, ladies and gentlemen, you'll find five star company beside their name on the, Google. On, so, Doctor Google, on the reviews, yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> five star, excellent. Thank you so much for your time. And from a from a, from a dad perspective, to have your daughter beside you, Mister Ed, I know this has just got to be an everyday huge smile on your face. I just I feel it through the through the through the air. This is. Ooh, Tiff, this is good for pops like like myself and those those gentlemen who are listening to have your daughter by your side, not only to run away and say I'm not going to do this, but to come back and then be a part and headed in a different direction as a time deemed mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. is just premier. Yeah. This is excellent. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Public Affairs Podcast. We'll see you next time.